The first reading this morning is Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. And the second reading, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 15. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Acacia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you've promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a generous giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you in their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is God's word. Money again. Last Sunday we were on money, and uh, I began by saying rather mischievously that it was my job to persuade you rotten old lot to give more. 
There was a twinkle in my eye, just in case you didn't spot it. I don't know whether you're generous or not. I suspect many of you are very generous. We are, of course, a society obsessed with money. A mathematics student made a nice typo in his um, application to the Cornhill training course where I work. He wrote, um, My finance and I are to marry <laughs> on such and such a date, and it is likely she will be working as an accountant <laughs> in central London. <laughs> Do you know, the funny thing is that I, I guess we instinctively feel that preaching about money is an awkward, slightly embarrassing and tricky thing to do. But the funny thing I've found is that as I've read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it seems to me that it's a cheerful, it's the kind of subject that ought to make a preacher's heart sing, because the truths in it are so wonderful. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, in uh, the province of Achaia in southern, what we would call southern Greece today, and he wants to um, encourage them and appeal to them to contribute generously, and it would seem that it's a lot of money is being talked about, to a collection, not for their own ministry. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are not directly about raising money for the ministry of one's own church, but in order to give it away to a multi-church collection that's going to the poor Christians in Jerusalem and Judea, who are struggling under persecution and poverty and having a tough time. And so it's a difficult ask. He's asking them to give a lot of money to people they've never seen, will probably never see, and who are very different from them. That's the the context. We saw last week that uh, Christian giving, real Christian giving, is utterly different in its motivation and character to uh, the kind of fundraising that happens in most giving in the world that we know. There's nothing particularly wrong with fundraising, but Christian giving is a different thing altogether. It's the outflow of grace. And I want us to notice as Paul continues his ask uh, in chapter 9, first of all, I want us to ask uh, to notice what I've called the glad readiness of grace. And this is the first five verses So he says in verse 1, there's no need for me to write to you, except he obviously thinks there is a need. It's a sort of typical pastor. I shouldn't need to. I don't really need to. I'm sort of confident that you've got it, but I'm going to write anyway. (laughs) There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, that is, Christian people in Jerusalem. Why not? Because, verse 2, I know your eagerness. He's seen, he's heard that they're eager. They've said, yes, we'll chip in. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll sign on for this giving. I know your eagerness. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians up further north, much poorer Christian churches up to the north, places like Philippi, Thessalonica. I've been boasting about it to them. And I've been telling them that since last year, you in Achaia in the south, were ready to give. And I want us to notice this word ready and the theme of readiness. Verse 2, you were ready. Your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. You were enthusiastic and they've actually done something. Action. 
So I'm writing verse 3, I'm sending the brothers, that is Titus and two other trusted men, he's talked about them in chapter 8, I'm sending them in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be, ready, ready, ready. I want to make sure that you're ready, not just enthusiastic, not just cheering us on and saying, great, we think this is a marvelous idea, wonderful, loved your letter, terrific, but that you'll actually be ready and do something. Because verse 4, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, same theme, isn't it? Ready or unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. We've been saying how keen you are to give, and we discover that it's just a, 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 a frothy surface keenness, saying, brilliant idea, yeah, great, but not actually doing anything. So verse 5, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, that is Titus and the other two, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements. Get you ready for the generous gift you'd promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. Now, I think the point that Paul, Paul's making is this. You, you know those awkward occasions when you're, you're, you're in... Um, you're visiting in a Christian church where they, they take an offering or a collection and you haven't done anything for it and suddenly you see the bag or the plate coming round. You knew that awkward moment when if you're with someone you whisper to them, you got any change? Could you lend me a fiver? You know, that's slightly awkward moment. You ever been there? Perhaps you haven't. Perhaps you're all wonderfully prepared. You've never known that. But you know that slightly embarrassment where you think you're rustling around thinking, see if you can find something somewhere quickly. Paul says, I don't want it to be like that, because that's just giving a tip, as like, like you might do in a restaurant. I want to make sure that you're ready. And I think the point he's, he's, he's making is that Christian giving is not a spur-of-the-moment impulse thing. It is a steady direction of life. We, we, we saw this a little bit last week. Just keep a finger in 2 Corinthians 9 and turn back to 1 Corinthians 16, just back a few pages, page 1157, to 1 Corinthians 16. And let me read you just the beginning of that chapter, where Paul writes about the same subject. He says, about the collection, 16 verse 1, for God's people, same collection, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, so the richer set aside more, the poorer less, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made, and so on. So what Paul is saying, if we go back to 2 Corinthians, he's saying, I want you to be ready. And he's saying, You, you, you say that Christian giving is grace of God flowing in and the grace of God flowing out. But you've got actually to do something. It's not just the grace of God flows in and makes me feel good and enthusiastic and I say, I love the idea of being generous. It's actually planning and doing something generous, he says. I want you to be ready what Paul calls the obedience of faith. And that means that the challenge for you and I is, is this. If we're Christian people and the grace of God flows into our lives and we're grateful, we do need actually to do something. 
We do need actually to, to get out the accounts and have a look and see what's coming in and what's going out and make some plans and then do it. Decide what you're going to do and then do it um, responsibly. If you're a taxpayer, do it in a tax-efficient way. And actually do something. It's worth our thinking as Christian people what this means. Every now and then, it doesn't happen very often, be good if it happens slightly more, some zealous young Christian gets sacrifice fever. Do you know what I mean by sacrifice fever? It's when a young Christian gets really enthusiastic, very thrilled with Jesus, very thrilled with the gospel, and says, I'm going to give everything away. And then those of us who are old enough to be in the 56 plus bracket have to say to them, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, you know. But I think, here's a suggestion as to what it might mean. I wonder whether for Christian people, it's not so much the give everything away, sacrifice fever thing, as the saying, I'm going to try to push my lifestyle towards the simpler end of the society in which I live. So I'm not going to give everything away and not have a phone or whatever it is. You know, It's just stupid. You just become dependent on other people if you do that. But I'm going to try when it comes to, 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 to buying a car or renting a flat or buying a property or all that kind of thing. I'm going to try just to push my lifestyle towards the simpler end. Just push it down towards the simpler end. So I belong to the society I belong to. Um, still wear clothes and shoes and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm, you know, I'm recognizably a part of the society I belong to, but I'm trying to push things towards the simpler end in order to be generous. There's a, a suggestion there. So readiness, actually doing something. But then in verses 6 through to the end of the chapter, Paul reaches the high point of his argument. Last week I said that Christian giving is not in order to get. We don't do Christian giving in order to get influence or a good reputation or feeling good or anything like that. We don't do Christian giving in order to get something. Having said that, Christian giving is sowing and there will be a harvest There is a future thing to look forward to as a result of Christian giving. So verse 6, Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, doesn't put much seed in the ground, will also reap sparingly. Easy analogy. You don't put much seed in your field, you're not going to get much of a harvest. But if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. And I've divided this last section, 6 to 15, in two. And 6 to 11, I'm calling the sure promise of grace. And it's a wonderful promise. Let me state it up front, and then we'll go through verses 6 to 11 to see it. The promise is this. If you want to be generous, God will enable you to be generous. If you want to be generous, God will enable you to be generous. Let's follow this through, because it's a wonderful promise. So verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. You know, you, quietly before God, you decide. Don't be pressured by me or peer pressure. You decide. So you won't, you'll give not reluctantly, not grumpily, or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. 
God loves a light-hearted giver. God some, loves somebody who when they, 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 they sign the standing order or do the bank transfer, they, they think, what a privilege. What a lovely thing to be able to do. And their heart lifts at the privilege of being able to do that and says, thank you, God, for giving me the wherewithal to, to do that. It's lovely. God loves that, that, that kind of giving rather than grumpy giving. But the problem is this. You might say to me, it's all very well dangling before me the privilege and the joy of giving and going on and enthusing about giving at the front. You've got the microphone, you can say what, what a wonderful thing giving is. But if you really want to know, I'm anxious about money. I'm anxious. If you knew my circumstances, if you knew what was coming in and what was going out and what might change, you'd be anxious. You'd lie awake at night like me, you might say. I'm not sure if I can give. I love the idea of giving. And maybe later on down the line, when I'm in a higher paid job, I might be able to give. But not now. Just at the moment, there just isn't anything spare. So here's the promise. We might call this the prosperity gospel. This really is the prosperity gospel. This is the true prosperity gospel, and it's a wonderful promise. Verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly. I feel I ought to be one, like one of those Nigerian Pentecostal preachers with a handheld microphone walking around the stage. God is able to bless you abundantly. But the funny thing is the Bible says it, so it's true. So that in all things... Rent, mortgage, food, clothes, all things. At all times, childhood, student days, junior job, senior job, retirement, all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's very strong. And then he quotes from Psalm 112 which was our first reading. We won't turn back to it now, but Psalm 112 is about a, a righteous person, a person who is a believer, and who, because they're a believer and God's grace has come into their life, they're generous. You, you know, read Psalm 112 later in the day. It's about, it's about people who are generous and give freely. And uh, the verse Paul quotes, he's scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Here is a generous person because God has been generous to them and God, God pronounces a blessing on them. And so verse 10, the one, the God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. It's an echo of an Old Testament verse in Isaiah. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And the image is your seed is what you sow, it's what you give in order to, to yield a harvest in the future. And he'll in, enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He'll give you seed. You say, I'd love to have a harvest, but I haven't got any seed spare to sow. And the promise is God says, I will give you seed to sow. And here it comes really strong. You will be enriched. So I can stand before you like one of those Pentecostal prosperity preachers and I can say, God will make you rich. Look at this. 
It's here. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So here's the promise. If you want to be generous, if you're a person to whom if God pours stuff in, you will pour it out, then God will pour stuff in. It's not a promise to the miser or the self-centered person, is it? It's not the promise God will make you rich so you can just enjoy life, full stop, and be selfish and not pour it out. It's a promise that you'll be enriched so that you can be generous at every stage of life in every way. Now, I think this is a fantastic promise. Carolyn and I are facing some changes coming up in our life, some quite big changes. And sometimes I get anxious about them and I worry. I wake at night worrying about circumstances and money and things like that. And uh, do, you, do you do that sort of thing where you, you have stuff going on in your life and then you study the Bible and there's a sort of disconnect between the two? Do you do that? And then every now and then God connects them. Well, that's what happened to me this week. I was sort of busy preparing 2 Corinthians 9 and thinking this is nice and worrying about, um, you know, money and stuff. And then at some point God helped me to connect the two and I thought, hang on, 2 Corinthians 9 isn't just generally true. It's a promise for us as well as a promise for every believer. If you want to be generous, God will enable you to be generous. How he does that will differ different stages of life. It may not always be money. There will be some of us for whom God pours money into our lives so that we may pour money out in generosity for Christian work. And some of us, that's true. It's a wonderful thing. And it may even be that the more we pour out, the more God will pour in. I don't know. But the promise is that if you want to be generous, you can be. And at every stage of life, you'll be able to be generous. I, I, I don't know, but I sometimes... Now I'm in the 56-plus bracket. You sort of think ahead, you know, and you think, I wonder what it's going to be like if I live to old age. And the promise is that if you want to be generous, God will enable you to be generous. It may be with love, with time, with care, maybe with money. But one way or another, it's a, it's a good question to ask, not for each of us at different stages, different circumstances, not to ask, can I give? Because that's the wrong question. The Bible answers that and says, yes, you can. But to ask, how can I give? How can I? How can we, at this particular stage of life, with these particular circumstances, how can we be generous? And God promises that it will be possible. It's a wonderful thing, uh, a wonderful, wonderful promise. And then in verses at the end of 11 through to 15, Paul moves from the glad readiness of grace and the sure promise of grace to the beautiful harvest of grace. So verse 11, you can be generous on every occasion and through us, that is through the collection that Paul is organizing, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's the harvest. Do you know the worst thing about this world in some ways 
is that this is a beautiful world made by a good and generous God who showers good things on humankind, and yet for the most part nobody thanks him. You thought that? Paul says in Romans chapter 1, it's one of the worst things that we worship other gods and we don't give thanks to God. You watch a beautiful kind of Attenborough program about the beauty of the world, and you notice that at no point is there any thanks given to the God who created it. You live amongst people enjoying the most fantastic healthcare standard of living and, you know, by and large, the kind of life that even kings and emperors in history couldn't dream of. And do you find when you're chatting in the office or with friends or in the pub, do you find that the, the main subject of conversation is thanksgiving to God? I'm guessing perhaps not always. And it's a scandal. And the universe is never going to be healthy until it's full of thanksgiving to the God who is good. And our generosity is, 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 is a sowing that leads to that harvest. So verse 12, this service you perform, he says, this giving, this collection, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it is doing that. There are poor Christians in Jerusalem struggling who will be helped by it. But, and this is even bigger, it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. People are thanking God because of it. So verse 13, because of the service by which you've proved yourself, that is, you've proved your genuineness by giving to this collection, other people are going to praise God, not just for the money, but for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, they're going to they're praise God for the evidence of genuineness in your Christian life and your generosity sharing with them and with everyone else. That's what Paul had done. Beginning of chapter 8, if you were here last week, he visited poor churches in Macedonia, struggling, persecuted, poor, very poor, dirt poor. And he'd seen fantastic generosity. And I guess his heart had lifted. He'd thought, this is marvelous. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing to watch, to see this happening. And he would have thanked God. So verse 14, in their prayers for you, these poor Christians in Jerusalem you've never met, they're going to be praying for you. And their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And then Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now here's the thing. His indescribable gift is Jesus. Who, though he was rich for your sakes, became poor. But it's not just, he's not just saying they'll thank God for the money and then separately they'll thank God for Jesus. I think what he's saying is this. He's saying, as they get this evidence of your grace and generosity in the collection, they will thank God that God's generosity to them in Jesus has been made concrete in this actual giving. It's a wonderful thing. You can imagine a poor Jewish family in Jerusalem, struggling, persecuted, very poor, and they receive their share of this collection from Gentile believers in the Messiah who they've never met. Who did they come from? Many miles away. And you can imagine them kneeling and praying, can't you? God our Father, thank you for your indescribable 
gift. Thank you for the kindness and the generosity of Jesus. Thank you for that kindness experienced in this particular gift. Thank you you, for how your generosity in Jesus must have flowed into the Corinthians and flowed out from them to us. Thank you, Father, for that wonderful um, gift. That's the harvest. Men and women bowing their heads in prayer and saying thank you to God for his generosity experienced through you or me. And that's a wonderful vision, isn't it? The idea that through our lives there may be more and more people thanking God for Jesus because they've experienced something of the generosity of Jesus through you and me. It's hard to think of a better incentive, isn't it? That's what's going to put the universe to rights, in a sense. A universe that's grumpy and selfish and tries to live in God's world without God. And through the generosity of Christian people poured out, more and more people will be giving thanks to God. It seems to me, friends, that this whole picture of grace giving that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is a wonderful antidote to those ways in which the the, 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 the secular fundraising methods get into Christian circles. I, I'm a little contrary, but when a Christian work repeatedly bombards me with mailings, I halve my giving to them. In fact, I cut it out completely. There's a number of, on the face of it, quite worthwhile Christian causes who have bombarded me with mailings, and every mailing has a has a free post envelope and a form to fill in and everything, and I now give them nothing. Am I contrary? Yeah, a bit. I am a bit contrary and a bit awkward. But but the, the, the point is that... that it, it's, it's the wrong motivation. It's pressure, pressure, pressure. Repeated appeals, repeated appeals. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, uh, these great sort of beat-ups that sometimes get into the Christian world. Not here, thank God. It's so wonderful to belong to a church where the, where the, where the, the atmosphere is, is, is grace and the goodness of God and free, cheerful response to the goodness of God. That's a wonderful thing to be part of. And we need to resist the sort of inroads of, of, of secular fundraising into, into the Christian um, world when they, they try to, to creep in. So what a wonderful thing it will be if in us there is seen the glad readiness of grace so that after hearing these chapters or perhaps at other times, individuals, couples, families here will, will, will think, I must, I must put in the diary, we're going to review We're going to have a think. What are our circumstances? What's coming in? What's going out? We're going to review. How can God enable us to be be generous now at this stage of of life? And then do something specifically after that review, a readiness, a definite action. How wonderful if those of us who are anxious about this and feel squeezed and pinched by the pressures and particularly financial pressures, pressures. How wonderful if we can be enabled to trust that promise that God will make enrich you in every way so that you may be generous.
And in some way, whatever your circumstances, whatever my circumstances, if God puts it on our, in our hearts to be generous, he will give us the wherewithal to be generous with. That's a wonderful promise. And how wonderful if that beautiful harvest of grace is seen. And if through our life as a church and our lives as believers and individuals and couples and families, how wonderful if the effect of our lives is that the indescribable goodness of God in Jesus is poured out to others and there is a harvest of thanksgiving to God because of what they've experienced through us. That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let's be quiet for a moment and I'll pray. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God our Father, we thank you for that wonderful gift of Jesus and every spiritual blessing that comes to us in him. And we pray that we might be those um, out of whose hearts and lives that generosity pours cheerfully to others so that there might be that harvest of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen.